Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a lot going on in that gospel reading for today. And at the very beginning, we see Jesus addressing the religious leaders. And in this parable, it convicted them because in their unbelief and apathetic attitudes toward, toward God's kingdom found in the Christ. So here the Messiah had come. All was ready, yet they did not feast with him. They didn't listen. Instead of heeding the voice of the prophets and promises made to them, they answered with killing the very one who came to be their redemption. So the first part of this parable addresses this all. St. Matthew records for us. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. So the Jews didn't want to be bothered by Jesus. They had one excuse after another. They had better things to do, or they just flat out rejected the Lord. But something did happen, though. They would see Jerusalem pillage. They would see the temple destroyed. Their holy city would become a pile of ruin and ash as the king would not let the rejection of his son go unnoticed. God's wrath burns against sin. The murderers in their city would be destroyed because God cannot be mocked and God always has the last word. So then to the shame of these people and out of the abundant mercy of the king, both of those things, God's words goes out far and wide. Jesus went on in the parable. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found with bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. So the king was throwing a wedding banquet for his son, and he wanted people there. And you can't pull a fast one on the king. If he wants his hall full of people, he will get it full of people. There's plenty of room, there's plenty of food at the feast for those whom the king calls to the feast. God is going to accomplish his will, even despite the absurd actions of men that reject his gracious invitation. The first part of the parable makes all this clear and shows, too, that God's word goes out to all peoples and all nations. The Jews rejected the Christ, but Jesus sent the disciples out to all nations. So the fault never lies with God. The fault always lies with man. The king's invitation goes out, and it shouldn't surprise us one iota that people make ridiculous and just flat-out lame excuses and reject it all. Now, the second part, then, gets a bit interesting. When Jesus speaks about the king looking over the feast, Jesus goes on, he says, But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So if the first part of this parable teaches how all are invited, it by no means implies that everyone automatically has a place. Never in the scriptures is God a universalist. You aren't entitled to be at the feast. The gospel is for all, yet not all are saved in the end. So this is where you start to fit into all of this as you sit here this morning and listen to the gospel reading. So are you a bit uncomfortable yet? Well, you should be if you aren't. Because this is a very hard saying before you in the reading. Jesus ends the parable by going back into his words, addressing the crowd. He's talking to his disciples now at this point. The parable has ended. And he's teaching them about what he had just said. And Jesus said, For many are called, but few are chosen. Now do you get it? Are you listening now? So where are you in all of this? Ask yourself this question. Am I lacking the wedding garment? Because when the king looks around the room and he sees the feast, are you exposed for who you are? Are you figured out? Is there nowhere to hide? Now, it's always easy to turn things in the church into an outward-looking perspective. And what I mean by this is it's easy, on the one hand, to hear harsh words in the Bible, but it's another thing to apply them to ourselves within the church, for us sitting in the pew every Sunday. Because what our sinful nature wants to do is it wants to think of God's calls to repentance as something, well, those are for those people outside the church walls. And it is, but it's for us, too. So there's a call for all of us to sober thinking, for us to keep watch and guard on ourselves, lest the day come upon us like a thief unaware, and you find yourself exposed, and the feast is not yours. Now the epistle reading has some similar things to say when it warns you about life in this world. And it's written to those who are baptized. It's written to the baptized people of God. Ephesians chapter 4 has established that. Now in the 5, St. Paul writes these words. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So with those words that God places before you, as looking how you walk, your lives are to be lived with that in mind. Take that to heart. Listen to what God says to you. Look around you. Look at yourself. Look at your life. It's short. The days are short. And the days are also evil, God says. So he literally says, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool, but each day when you get up in the morning, stand up as one who remembers and lives what God has called you to be as his baptized child. Know full well that the mercy of God is towards you as you have been called out of this world and into the kingdom of God which has no end. So when you get up then and you start thinking about what the day has in store for you, go about your day as one who understands that it is a gift. 
and you can get up in the morning and that you even have air to breathe and daily food to feed your body is nothing short of God's grace and mercy towards you. And when you go about your work or these things you have on your list for the day, complete them as someone who is wise in the ways of God. Not using the day as an excuse or as a cover-up for evil, but rather to serve your neighbor and as a fruit of your faith in Christ. And when you are tempted to forget the things of God, when your sinful flesh wants you to do it, or the world around you wants you to do it, or the devil wants you to do it, when you're tempted to start turning your back on the Lord and his church and just making lame excuses, I mean, really, those people, those are the excuses they gave, go to your farm, your business, that's why you're missing this, really? Think long and hard about that man in that reading. He was thrown into the outer darkness. Because then, when he wanted to be at the feast, he wanted it on his own terms, not God's. He didn't belong. There's a lot of speculation about what the wedding garment is, and we can get lost um, about that. But it was often thought of that when you went to a wedding in some parts of the Middle East at this time, you were given a wedding garment so that you had something nice to wear and like a nice robe. I joked with the people at Bible study, right, for your wedding pictures, right, in the... That was a long time ago. They didn't have pictures then, right? But you were adorned with that. It was covered you according to the giver of the feast. So do you want the Lord to look at you and judge you on the basis of yourself, of your own merits, your own garments? Because when you start to look at yourself and you actually examine your life, and you look at who you are, and you look at who the gives the feast, and what that all entails, well, you see that it's not for you. So where does that leave you then? Well, it all come back, comes back to something. It comes back to God's mercy, doesn't it? Because you see in your life that God has called you his own, and he's given you a place at his feast here in the church now. And he points you to the eternal feast to come. And the two are connected. On the basis of your own self, though, you see where you desire to be. And you see all the times you have either ignored God's invitation or simply put something else in place of it. Or all the lame excuses you've made in your life to not hear God's word. But when you hear these words of God today, you humble yourself. You see there's nothing more important than Christ and his word. And when you see that, then everything else starts to fall into place. No excuse is reasonable anymore. Nothing else matters in comparison with the eternal things of God. So fixing your eyes on Christ crucified, you see that you indeed have a place before God because of him and his work for you. Understanding and believing the gospel, you would and do whatever it takes to hear God's word and receive his sacraments. And all of this then is in humility as you place your sin on Christ who has atoned for it. You know the filthy rags that you have because of your sin. And rather than standing proudly before God and holding those filthy rags before him, you instead stand covered with the robe of Christ and his righteousness. And you claim no merit except the merits of Jesus who has lived, died, and risen again for you. And so the call goes out. All is ready. And it's here right now. So don't make excuses, but go to where Christ has promised to be for you. 
Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And so that gospel reading ends with a hard saying. And Jesus is right. Many are called, but few are chosen. So where do you have the confidence and comfort in this? Well, taste and see that this means you. God has given you his word. God has given you your baptism. God has given you confession and absolution. God gives you the Lord's Supper, not only to assure you that you are his chosen people, but to give it to you in these means. This morning at Bible study, we were talking about this, and our Lutheran confessions bring up this verse specifically in the formula of Concord on the doctrine of election and predestination. And we talk about that when Jesus makes this statement, right? The fault always lies in people, rejection. But the gift of faith is the gift of God. And so how you know that you are one of the chosen is nothing in yourself. You don't even say, my faith assures me of this. You always look to Christ. You say, Lord, you have promised I'm your chosen. How have you promised this? I'm baptized. I receive the Lord's Supper. You preach to me your word. You're the one who makes me your own. Not me, you. So when we're standing at the feast, we don't try to say, well, this is my garment. We say, Lord, you're the one who's called me here. You're the one who's covered me. You're the one who feeds me. And that's a wonderful thing then each and every day to think about that. To rejoice in the fact that God has mercy upon us. And even as we lay on our deathbed, whenever that day may be, that God before the foundation of the world has chosen you to be his own people. And you trust those promises and you cling to those promises even as death comes before you. God gives you life. So rejoice then that God is at work in your life even now. And that it gives you comfort, it gives you consolation. These words of Jesus humble you today, but they also exalt you as you see the Lord who has called you his own. The Lord who forgives your sins. The Lord who keeps calling you again and again. The one who has chosen you as his own. The one who looks each one of you in the eye and says, all is ready. So feast now and feast forever. Amen.